Hello and welcome to the Home Assistant Podcast, episode number 48. My name is Phil and joining me today, as usual, my partner in crime, Rohan. How's it going? Hey, good. How are you? Good, thank you. And joining us all the way from New Zealand, we have Adam with us. Hey, Adam. Hello. How are you going? This episode is sponsored by Home Assistant Cloud by Nabucasa. Easily and securely access your local Home Assistant instance remotely for a small monthly fee that also supports the Home Assistant project. Configuration is via the user interface, so no fiddling with router settings, SSL certificates, or YAML. So Adam, you're from New Zealand, uh, and, and we found out something interested about, interesting about you is you live on a houseboat. Yes, so in Auckland, for those people in Auckland, the house prices are pretty uh, toxic, to be honest, getting in the yeah. first home. So partner and I looked at each other, we owned a a smaller yacht at the time and we said geez we should live on it and then we both sort of halfway through the laughter went hold on that's actually not a bad idea so then um, yeah we we upgraded our our boat got a 42 foot boat and now we live on it been on it for about two and a half years oh, that's wow. awesome all right well we are going to have fun talking to you in a minute yes <laughs> but, but before we we dive into that uh so this release uh, 0.92 is the next release. There was actually no beta, uh, just so everyone's aware. We usually record on the weekend the beta is released, and this weekend happens to be where we're recording, and there is no beta. So we're sort of uh, going off uh, crude GitHub commits, and we've I've spoken to Paulus to try and work out what's going on. So there are a few changes coming in 0.92 for sure. The release may actually be delayed, so you may actually get this podcast before the release is out. And so as part of 0.92, all the uh, components, so your Philips Hue component, the SmartThings component, they're actually being uh, changed from uh, a component. They're going to be called now plugins. So that will be the new name for all integrations of Home Assistant. They're actually going to be plugins. And right. that will be, so, uh, so instead of having a Philips Hue component, there'll be a Philips Hue plugin. And when you enable the Philips Hue plugin, that will also enable things like the components, the sensors, and everything else that it needs to bring along. And I think Paulus alluded to this in a previous episode we had him on. So sort of, you know, just breaking things out into their own little consolidated plugin. So because of that, there's been a, uh, a lot of new, a lot of migration into that sort of architecture uh, which delayed the beta so there's going to be uh, probably a few breaking changes especially if you're using custom components uh, in this release so do watch out for that unfortunately we don't have all the details uh, around that there's also a discussion about uh, with the, the dev team about a possible change to the release cycle increasing the beta from one week to two weeks which would essentially be that on the same day, the new stable release would be launched, and then a week, uh, and on the same day, the beta for the following release would be launched. So we'll have to see. There's a lot of discussions about that very early days, and this is just goes to show uh, how far uh, the Home Assistant project really moves. It really, really moves fast. I think last time we had Paulus on, he said a couple of things, and we're about to discuss them. They're, they've already changed in, you know, amongst that. So, yeah. Yeah, I think I think the other piece is also the nomenclature itself changing even from little things like changing it from component to plugin, right? So to me, to me, that's a it's interesting because uh, for me, a component is a core piece of the puzzle. Yes. Whereas a plugin is an external external piece. So which I, I think I think it's personally it's more accurate. I know it's not a huge deal but uh but i think it's just a little more it also consolidates the so. terminology around i think too so you uh in home assistant you have you know components and then you've got sensors and and, and all that sort of thing and then in hasio you've got add-ons now it's just going to be a home assistant plugin and a hasio add-on that's that's all you should really have to to worry about you don't have to worry about if you're loading a, a component or uh an entity or, or something like that or a platform i should say yeah exactly and every, every, everything is really a plugin which then goes under the bigger architecture of the of the system so yes exactly um some other some other big news home assistant android app is coming um so ravi uh who created the ios app started work on an android app and uh interestingly enough he uh, he mentioned it on april fool's day <laughs> everyone so thought i think, I, I think <laughs> yeah everyone was like 
uh, April Fools or is this legit or <laughs> and uh, and it turns out it's legit. So uh, that's I, I think it's awesome. Um, I know there there's been a lot of talk about when there's going to be an official official Android app. So I think uh, I think hopefully we'll see that in the next little bit. Uh, I know it does take a, quite a bit of work. So. Yeah, but I think Robbie actually set himself some pretty uh, decent targets. Like, I can't remember the dates exactly, but within a couple of months, I think there would at least be an alpha or a beta out for people to play with. So, yeah. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, I know there's there was the uh, newer iOS release as well, so uh, the 2.0 uh, beta. Mm. So, um, I mean, Robbie, good for you, man. Like, uh, it's, it's Robbie and, and the entire team as well. You know, you guys have been doing such a fantastic job releasing these just it, it does take quite a bit of effort and i know it's all on personal time so thanks yeah absolutely and another feature that paul has talked about last time was that home assistant add-ons are not available through uh the home assistant remote cloud access and of course mm-hmm. uh pascal must have been listing uh, on that and was just like oh challenge accepted and uh sure enough he's uh made me out to be a fool on Twitter at least and has said, nope, uh, this is an ingress <laughs> feature and that you can now run on Hass.io and you can access all your add-ons remotely uh, if you're using uh, the Home Assistant Cloud URL. Uh, so it's now stable. I don't believe it requires a Home Assistant update. I did see a few commits which will be released in the 0.92 release of Home Assistant whenever that lands. Uh, but if you are a Hass.io user and you want to use it straight away, uh, before 0.92, Frank has created the AdGuard plugin uh, or AdGuard uh, add-on for Hass.io, which does allow you to use this ingress feature. So, yeah, uh, amazing work. And this is sort of the stuff we get to see with the Home Assistant Cloud subscription really helping out. You know, Pascal is a the full-time employee for Nebucasa who works solely on Home Assistant and Hass.io. So, yeah, that this is sort of the, the fruits of that coming out. Yeah, which is which is awesome. So also for, uh, in terms of what's coming out with releases, talking about 0.92, there's going to be a couple of updates on Google Assistant. So now you're going to be able to ask the, the assistant to say, is your door opened or is it closed and so on and so forth, right? And uh, and I think that's, that's going to be a nice change. Mm. Uh, and if you are using uh, HEOS or HEOS, uh, there's actually been some massive updates in this release. Uh, now it says config flows, so you can do it all through the UI. And there is also uh, discovery support, so Home Assistant will automatically discover any of those speakers. And in, just in case you aren't aware, they are a competitor to Sonos, so good to see uh, some more multi-room Wi-Fi speakers being added into the into Home Assistant. Also, uh, we talked quite a bit about streams, uh, especially in our last uh, episode. And so now we've got Foscam, Axis, NetAddo, Doorbird, uh, and ONVIF. All the plugins for those have been updated to support streams. So awesome work there. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of people were excited about the stream functionality. And, uh, and, and I think, you know, now more people can start leveraging that too. So that's fantastic. Absolutely. Uh, a slight change to the light service, and this will affect, I believe, all light components. So it doesn't matter if you're using Philips Hue, LifeX, or uh, Lightify. It's all going to be the same. Uh, when setting a light to brightness zero, they will actually be turned off. So if you have bulbs that somehow can support brightness of zero, uh, you might need to just bump it up to one or something because it may become a breaking change for you. Right. Uh, Ostrom Lightify, the component is actually being rewritten. So initially, it's not going to add any new support, but then at the, afterwards, you're going to see scene and uh, and so on uh, coming out as part of that platform. Nice. And uh, user permission checking is now available to all Rain Machine services. So now you can control who is allowed to uh, water your garden. Uh, and this is a really cool, uh, I think this will be used as an example for other components that want to start looking at really building out the permissions and, and making things work as a, a permission sort of uh, architecture. So good to see a component fully utilizing uh, user permissions now. Also a bit of a breaking change in 0.92, which is the AWS Lambda, AWS SNS, and AWS SQS notified platforms. All of those have actually been consolidated to the single AWS plat- uh, component. 
uh, soon it'll be called plugin. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and essentially, yeah, if you utilize any of those, um, you do want to watch out for that and make sure you're uh, moving into TAWS component. Finally, for what we at least know so far about 0.92, uh, there is a new camera component added uh, when you enable the BOM component for the Australian Bureau of Meteorology, which will display a radar loop of a weather radar. So any fellow Australians out there, I'm excited to replace my windy.com animated GIF on my Lovelace UI. So yeah, thank you everyone for contributing that. That's awesome. That's awesome. And, and uh, uh, now, now Adam. Adam. This is, this is, we yeah, usually yeah. don't get to this part very, very quickly, but <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting. Now. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's no, no reason to be. Uh, <laughs> so, so I mean, to me, this is cool. Um, you, you've got an interesting home assistant setup. We, we, we touched on it a little earlier. You live on a boat. So what, what does that, what does that mean? How does, how does home assistant work in your environment? It's so weird how it came about because I'll tell you how it came about. We would get home and the boat would be dark. It'd be pitch black. You'd have to go down the companionway stairs and they're not normal stairs. They're almost 60 degrees down. So you're, you know, lucky if you don't fall down them in the darkness, (laughs) then you find your way around the boat and finally find the, 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 the light switch and you turn it on. Oh, great. Then we thought, no, we'll go to the local hardware store and we'll grab some touch lamps. So when we open the hatch, we can just hit the light. Great. Several times, though, we'd accidentally leave them on. The batteries would be flat. And I thought there has has to be a better way. And, of course, there was. So the biggest challenge I had, though, was how do I do this? Because we are living on a boat. We've got two voltages. We've we've actually got a 110-volt system because it's an American boat. Uh, and then we've got the 12-volt system. We go out sailing. We don't have an inverter, so we lose the 110. Do we have internet when we're sailing? No. Then right. you look at other things like, will the devices work? I need them to be local. Am I going to use a Raspberry Pi or a Nook? Well, that depends on what I can power it with. So all these things started to – well, there's more questions than answers, really. So I had to sit down and really think about what I wanted out of the system – and then how I was going to do it. So I started with a Raspberry Pi because I thought it's a few dollars, and if it all goes wrong or I want to upgrade, then it's no big deal. Yeah. But then the other things is what can I do? What can I buy? I can't just go out and get a smart lock because there's no door on the boat. I can't yeah. go get a, <laughs> yeah. a doorbell camera because there's no doorbell. <laughs> so all these great products I love listening Uh, I listen to your podcast all the time and I hear all these great products I think oh that'd be so cool but I can't use it yeah yeah so (laughs) I started with what do we want what do we want to do and what are we trying to achieve and the first thing was I want the damn lights to turn on when I get home and that was really easy we just got some LED strips I used the magic home LED controller I flashed that was Tasmoda yep and, you know, we get home and the lights turn on now. So that was a really simple thing to do. Um, yeah. on, a, on a side note, I'm quite uh, envious of people, you know, when they have all these great ideas and everything else. But our setup is so simple, it's not funny. Like device tracking, I use a Raspberry Pi because it's a 13-meter yeah. or 42-foot boat. So it picks us up wherever we are. So things like that have been so different because I, I listen to what other people are doing, but I can't ever apply it to our situation, if that makes sense. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, what do you guys use for device tracking, for example? Uh, well, I'm personally using uh, just Wi-Fi. So as long as our phone is connected to our Wi-Fi, then we're marked as home. Oh, yeah. So that's something yeah. as well. And and for me, I'm, I'm using my, again, same phone and, uh, you know, I'm phone and gps with the app saying you know are you here are you not that kind of thing right yeah so that's the one thing we were struggling with a little bit is how am i going to do this because i wanted the wi-fi on but sometimes we leave the boat and turn the internet off mm-hmm. so then i actually had to think no i, I still need a, a router running because all these devices still need to talk to the pie sure so i I ended up getting a, a little repeater. So if I kill the router, the repeater's still running. 
just yeah, nothing is ever easy and straightforward. Oh well, no, <laughs> I find of course not. So I guess th- and this is sort of just to to uh, to my, get my head around it. So you mentioned before that you're running 110 volts on the boat because it's an American boat. I know uh, New Zealand and Australia share very similar standards. So most of the uh, electricity products in New Zealand will actually be 240 volts. So yeah. and if you're on a boat, you don't have you're not hooked up to the, the the grid all the time. So I'm guessing you must have some batteries on the boat that or a solar power on the boat somehow that you're generating energy and of course white like to leave a, a wi-fi router on all day would you know suck down that energy do you how do you source some of your electricity goods so do you have like a, a special american 110 volt wi-fi router for example or do you have a, uh, a transformer there that can step up the voltage to 240 volts Yes, so what we do is we plug into the shore power, which takes the 240, mm-hmm. yeah. um, slams it through a transformer down to 110, and then it supplies the boat. So as soon as we take that shore power cable away, we've lost the AC. Yep, okay. Um, so that was another thing. If I was to run a nook, I'd probably run it off the AC rather than the solar panels mm-hmm. feeding the DC batteries. But then I becomes the issue is when you're out sailing now we have no knock now we have no home assistant yeah. yeah something i've done and my wife was not happy initially was there are no working light switches on the boat everything is through home assistant so that was a big thing to do and therefore i needed something like a pie to be running all the time so the pie runs off the 12 volt which runs off the solar yeah Right. Um, and if home assistant's controlling, like your primary source of control for the lights, then that becomes a mission critical thing that needs to be on 24-7, can't go down. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So for those non-boaty people out there, I've got 400 amp hour uh, battery bank on the boat. And overnight, just leaving everything on in terms of LEDs, the Pi, the router, blah, 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 we get down to about 370. So we can easily put mm. in 30 amps again the next day. So that's fine. We're very sufficient. And then if we are motoring, then the engine puts in the um, amps as well. Yeah, right. But the whole AC part, when I lose all of that, that was another thing that I had to think about. What kind of devices am I going to use where I can turn them off and it's going to be okay? For example, the um sonoff power that runs our water heater if i turn that off am i going to lose the energy um information that we're keeping track of thankfully right. we don't so yeah I, I don't know i just I, I i actually didn't think i could do this starting with home assistant i i, I didn't know if it was going to work but looking at where we've been and all the updates it's it's actually become easier and easier um especially the remote um, access lately because if we're out and about and we want to come home we can turn the water heater on remotely and then we get home and can jump in the shower right so yeah home assistant clouds helped us because we're also on the 4g network mm. so your ip address will be changing all the time and it's not necessarily worthwhile you know setting up a an access that way so you really do need a proxy yeah everyone's told me duck dns duck dns i'd love to use it but i can't right so, yeah, I like if you actually sit back and look at all these things I've been talking about, it's it, I actually sat down with a bit of paper, and I remember looking at all sorts of devices and going, "How am I going to do this?" The the one thing I did decide on is the Raspberry Pi is going to be it. I'm not going to upgrade or anything, and the four is coming out next year, which I'm hanging out for a little bit. Mm. But then I also decided I'm only using MQTT. There's no other protocol. There's no Zigbee, Z-Wave, nothing. Right. Only MQTT. So if the device doesn't use that, I can't put it into our system. But it's made it easier in a way. Yeah, because that was going to be my sure. my sure. next question. Sure, because, you know, being out in the, the boat, you know, surely you don't have to worry about, you know, Wi-Fi interference from uh, apartments or condos that are upward on different levels but there surely might be other communication systems or anything like that that might interfere you know like a z-wave or a zigbee radio might interfere with those systems of other boats or even your own boat so i'm guessing you know you've got to also take that into consideration as well yeah 
I, I, the one thing I, I did find myself, and I, I guess we're all guilty of this because it's a little hobby on the side, is I started looking at all sorts of stupid things that we didn't need. So <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I yep. can I can put this into Home Assistant. I could do that. I could do this. And then I thought, well, do we need that? Do I want to do that? How much is that going to cost? And it was normally the cost because now I'm looking at marine products trying to integrate with Home Assistant. Right. So for me, keeping it simple is the best idea, keeping it um, slim as well because we're only on the pie. Mm. And and just yeah, cutting out the, the non-essential. I used to have so many sensors. It wasn't funny. I used to keep track of how many astronauts were in the International Space Station. That's gone. I don't need to know that anymore. <laughs> Yeah, fair. <laughs> um, yeah, you just start looking at all these stupid <laughs> things that you think you might need. So, yeah, it's it's funny because I, I listen to the podcast and I listen to what other people are doing. And I find that people are going more and more because it is a hobby and it's fun to do. But for us, I've had to cut it less and less. Um, yeah. But our setup now is absolutely mint. The pie doesn't go over 20% CPU. Um, it's just humming along. But the only thing is I can't do anything interesting like Grafana. I tried that and things started slowing down. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you find that with, uh, especially with power and things like that too, the, like, you know, you know, you're, you're probably a little more susceptible to corruption and things like that on your, on your Raspberry Pi uh, or on the, on the flashcard on the Raspberry Pi rather uh, than the rest of us are. Have you, have you had those issues or have you been okay? Like, yeah, that's a good question. We um, here's a funny one for you. The other day, we the fridge is running because that's twelve volt, and we flush the toilet. That's twelve volt as well. The electric toilets, and when those both are running, and the amp power is maybe around three sixty, three fifty. There's not enough mm-hmm. volts that supply. There's not enough voltage to supply the power to the pie. So now and then we'll actually have the pie go offline. So something I've been looking at in the last few weeks is how can I stop that, whether I use a battery bank or a some kind of UPS lithium battery yeah. setup. Even something like a, a capacitor or something just in between it so that it's sort of got a enough spare juice at some point so that if there is a fluctuation, it, it can draw on that first before crashing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. The, the, the toilets, you know, they don't take a lot of power, but you're using a heck of a lot of power over a short time. Mm. Same with the anchor winch. When you put the anchor down or pull it up, it's not a lot of power that we're taking away from the batteries, but it's a, the it's the amperage draw in that one go. So, yeah, that that is something I'm, I'm a little worried about, and that's why I back up every single night to Dropbox, our configuration. Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a good idea. So so do you have any, any, uh, any of your let's call it the marine systems or the core, you know, like things like communications or, or like motorized sales or things like that. Do you have any of those things? I know you said you kept it pretty basic. Um, um, that, that would be a dream to just to, to put the sales up through home assistant, <laughs> but no, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, not, not yet. I am going to tap into the NEMA network. Um, I'm still looking at the best way to do that mm-hmm. just so I can pull off some of the information from our transducer, like what depth, wind speed and direction that sort of thing i'm right. more interested about the wind but um yeah that is the next step probably yeah there's a few other things we'd like to do as well but we've we've thought about cost and is it necessary the one thing i want to do is batteries i want to put the amp hours straight into home assistant so i can see if the batteries are getting too low then i can yeah. turn on the um, battery charger remotely or it can do it itself through an automation yeah sure sure that makes sense but that alone is probably going to cost about $800 to do. And yeah. I just don't think it's worth doing it. Yeah, the second the second you add uh, Marine in front of anything, it uh, tends to be a lot more expensive. <laughs> I've, I've, got, I've got a few friends with, uh, or i got one friend who's got a sailboat and same same deal, right? And, you know, Marine-grade anything is triple the price. Yeah, and that's the huge issue. I, I do like what we've done, though, to the boat. It does feel a lot more... Um, like a home downstairs, um, mm-hmm. you know, little things like turning the kettle on either at a time or through Google or, or whatever. It just yeah. makes it feel a little bit more like a, a home and, and not, not a boat. But that's the one thing we've thought about going into it is 
it is a boat first off and then it's our home and if you think about it like that then you don't tend to get upset about all the things you can't do or you want to do but the cost i know it sounds a bit odd but it, it is a mindset it's, yeah it's not really absolutely it's a boat at the start you know yeah yeah so I guess you, you mentioned before just then uh, through through Google and, and you've got everything controlled via Home Assistant for your lights. So how do you really drive Home Assistant? Like if you get into the boat, how would you turn on a light? Is it a voice command or do you have some tablets around the boat? So Paulus is probably going to hate me for saying this. I, I love love Lace. I love what they've done with it. But my aim is not to use it at all. I don't want to use it. And I think that if you have to ask to turn a light on, that's not automation. Absolutely. I think you should yep. be able to automate it where you yep. just walk on the boat and if someone's already home and it's daylight, well, then don't turn the lights on, for example. That's fine. Most of us would have probably, you know, written those automations with a lamp. But things like we're both not home. We're home now. I want to turn the lights on. Great. But then little things like my partner and I, we're both airline pilots, so we're both shift workers. So she right. could be asleep and I get home at midnight, what do I do there? Do I turn the lights mm. on? Do I not? So we've actually done things like our, our Apple Watches, sends a push notification, and I can say, yeah, turn on the lights in the living room or do this or do that. So there are little workarounds, but I, I don't want to come home and have to ask to turn a light on or, or things like that. When it comes to a kettle, well, I don't know how you're going to, predict that you want a cup of tea so sure <laughs> you can you can ask it to turn on the kettle um yeah. things like a shower as well yeah it doesn't know if you showered this morning or not i'm not going to put a smell sensor on my partner so i thought <laughs> that's fine too we can just ask to turn the water heater on that's that's fine yeah. but but other things no i i i, I don't want to do that um lovelace is very bare for us as well just very general things a couple of switches i can turn lights and uh, the water heater, dehumidifier, the actual heater on, kettle, but nothing else. Um, yeah. Yeah. Do you guys use Lovelace quite a lot? Do you actually use tablets and that sort of thing, or are you uh, trying to sort of go the way I've done it? So, well, pr- primarily for me personally, I think uh, I, I do try and uh, have the, the whole, uh, the house should adapt to you. So, there are motion sensors in most of my rooms uh, where I think I've only got the bathroom and the toilet, which don't have motion sensors because guests use those and they may think that, you know, if people aren't into this hobby, they may think that they're cameras, not just motion yeah. sensors. So it gets a bit, you know, I don't want people to feel uncomfortable. So, uh, but in every other room, you know, there are motion sensors that detect the light level and occupancy. And so, you know, the idea is that if the lights, if it's too dark in a room and you walk into a room, the, the lights turn on. And, you know, you were describing, Adam, before your edge case of like shifts and, and when should the house turn the lights on. That is one of the reasons why I think at at least at this if, in this period of home automation, it's very difficult for there to be a one-stop shop for someone to really get into home automation as a to offer it as a, a sellable business. I, I know there are people out there that do it and there are you know people that can afford it, but if to set up someone's house to be automated to the level that I'm sure all of us have with Home Assistant, it, you need to really get down to how people use their homes. And the way people use their homes vary from day to day. Mm-hmm. And f- so, for example, if my wife is in bed before me, then when I walk into the bedroom, I don't want the bedroom lights to turn on and wake her up and, and vice versa. So, teaching a, a home how to do all those nuances and, and really personalize things, it takes a long time. It, it's not like uh, something you can just go buy off a shelf and, and and expect it to work straight away. It's going to take months, if not years, of constantly tweaking it. it, it I think maybe even just forever tweaking it yeah. to get it how you're using your home at the time. So, yeah, so for me to answer your question, it's, yeah, I, I avoid using um, – I have the motion sensors – and all that, so the house should do it automatically. And then I have a uh, voice via the Amazon Echo as an override. And worst case uh, scenario, I can pull out my phone and, or I have tablets on the wall that have Lovelace running on them. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty much exactly the same. Um, and and I've been pretty vocal about 
it, you know, to me, to me, home automation is exactly that. The home is automated, right? I'm not going in and telling it to do things. Um, but with that said, there are times when you do have to, uh, when, when you do have to make tweaks, right? Like you said, oh, you know what? I want to turn this on right now. And that's not, that's not a standard thing, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, guests are over or something, something, you know, some, something different like that. So to me, to me, that's what it is. And, and anytime I need to do any of those tweaks, um, I, I get my, I have an Amazon echo and I get my echo to do, you know, Hey, do this. Hey, do that. Turn on the lights, turn off the light, whatever. And, and outside of that, really, I don't use the UI. I I do when I need to do something specific or if I'm testing stuff, but outside of that, I, I really don't use it. Um, and, and my partner, she, she hates having to do any of that stuff. Um, her primary go-to is again using the using the uh, Echo device, and then outside of that, she'll just go and turn on, like press the button on the, on the wall to turn on the lights or whatever. So it's uh, pretty 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 similar with you guys. Mm. Yeah, I, I I do think it's um, a tough thing to do because I don't know how you guys write automations, but I normally sit down with a bit of paper and I write down at the top of the page. Um, yep. what the problem is so i want the lights to turn on when i get home then i go how am i going to do that well i can do it through bluetooth and the raspberry pi great Ooh, then you start going oh hold on what if someone's home oh hold on what if what if this is the case oh what if someone's over and then you go and, and i think if we can't do it how's the computer going to work it out yeah but yeah there is there are ways to get around it and i think if you can avoid just having to ask mundane tasks that should be done automatically i think we could probably benefit from motion sensors yeah then then again i haven't sat down and thought what are the negatives of that either well that's right and, and particularly in your original use case was it was mqtt only so therefore motion sensors are going to have to be somehow connected to a wi-fi connection in order to access that server yeah and motion you know batteries on a wi-fi device aren't usually that crash hot so that's sort of where the strengths in a smaller uh, protocol like Zigbee or Z-Wave come in. But then you have to run another radio or another protocol in, on the boat, which, as you've already mentioned, can get a bit tricky. Yeah, yeah, and and on the counter is you could try doing some wired sensors, but uh, but again, then that's power, right? So yeah. Especially because this is the thing, right? So in a in a house where there's constant power, I think it was like, oh well, if I just need Wi-Fi, I'll just plug it in and and I'll constantly have power. But yep. on a boat, this is where Adam, you've got that unique situation where you really have to think uh, about a, a solution that's going to be efficient, not only uh, electricity wise, but also you know is quick enough to respond and it's you know worth doing. Yeah, and that's what goes uh, saying what I said before. You look at these great devices. And you think, damn it, I can't use it. Or if I use it, I'm going to have more problems on my hands or, you know. Um, I actually really enjoy looking at forums and seeing people having issues with all sorts of devices that I just don't own. Um, And I think keeping it simple has worked for us and just keeping it lean as well. As I said, you know, I I don't need all these stupid sensors. Uh, Yes, it's cool to see how many things are in space or or whatever, but... (laughs) Then you just got to work out yeah. what are we actually trying to do. Um, I made a little um, automation that kept track of our cars and when they needed to be serviced, and it was just a, a date. And then X amount of days from that date is going to send us. A, but then, of course, you get emails and reminders from the car places anyway. So I thought oh, I'll get rid of that. Um, so that was my recent cull. And it, yeah. it's actually, it actually feels nice to do a little bit of a spring clean on, on the uh, automations and the sensors. I don't know. Maybe on the Totally. No, no. I, I completely hear that. <laughs> well, it, it's, <laughs> but, but, but it's to, to our earlier point too, right, is, is even if nothing, your habits also change, right? Um, you know, maybe, maybe you change a job and maybe you, you're, you know, maybe you're not nine to five anymore or maybe you weren't nine to five and now you are. And, you know, d- different situations arise right and, and at some point that means you know you need to again exactly what you said home uh, spring cleaning right so yeah yeah I, I don't know how many different devices you guys have but we literally run i'd probably guess off the top of my head 12 and that's it yeah because wow. um, that's all we need um and, and i think there's a lot of merit in just having a a, a smaller setup but i did automate my dad's house and of course 
we had 18 plugs just for his lamps alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, that yeah. Been I, I'm, I'm a huge believer of, yeah, I'm, I'm a huge believer of keeping it simple too. So I'm, I'm, I'm with you there. But I find it funny because the, the couple of episodes ago, there was a person, you're talking about the Xbox component. Yeah. And someone was so excited about it, it wasn't funny. And I thought that's quite interesting because it is, it sort of snapped me out of my little, um, you know, I'm quite happy with our little setup and things like that. And then you hear what other people are doing and you think, man, this person's using their Xbox to do all these other things when I don't even have a console. I don't have anywhere to put it. Yeah. But it's cool to, cool to hear what other, other people are, are doing out there. Um, but one thing I have come across a few times, people saying to me, why don't you do it like this? And it's like, yeah, that's great, but it just doesn't apply or it doesn't, it won't work yeah. like that. Yeah. There, there, there's a lot of constraints that uh, you don't think about, right? Mm. I, d- I don't know if you, um, if you guys have any elaborate setups and that sort of thing with, you know, TVs turning on or sound bars. I mean, that's cool. If I remember, you know, when we lived in our house, if, if I could have the damn um, sound bar turn on when the TV did <laughs> and the Xbox or something else, that would be so cool. You know? <laughs> so I'm listening to these people go, oh, that's awesome. That's great. Um, we don't have a TV, so just yeah, so much doesn't apply. And in a way, I'm in two minds. I wish I could go out and buy all these things because it's such a fun hobby, and the community's great. What you guys are doing is great, but at the same time, I just can't. And that's where the boat is good, but it's kind of bad in a way, I guess, as well. Yeah, sort of. Yeah. You feel restricted in in what you can do, and for obvious reasons as well. Mm. Yeah. So, living on a boat. How many flood sensors do you have around your home? I know I've got one in the shower to know when someone's in the shower, but being yeah. on a boat, surely uh, water would have to be a, a pretty scary thing if it's not in a, the right spot. Yeah, so we run the um, Sonoff RF bridge, mm-hmm. and I had, had being the word, um, two sensors in the bilge area, but we had an issue with one of our transducers. So when we are out sailing, I pulled it up, and when you pull up, transducer there's a hole in the bottom of your boat so a little bit of water came in and i didn't think about this but the um, salt water just destroyed the sensors um, oh. so they're, they're on the um they're on the to-do list they're being posted to new zealand from um china as we speak but water leaks aren't a major the the big thing would just be the fresh water and we've got 500 liters of water so if the water pump wants to continually pump water into the bilge it's going to run out sooner or later which is you know it's not a bad mm. thing but if we actually had a hull compromise then i don't know if a sensor like that would would even you know alert us in time i'm not sure um so yeah. i haven't really worried about i'm sure people in the marina would would let us know if the boat wasn't <laughs> floating <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah well i mean that that's part of it too right is is what's faster at the end of the day for you guys yeah, something that's big for us, though, and anybody could appreciate this, is humidity and mold. Um, yeah. Just the, the winters can be quite tough. So just having temperature sensors alone across the boat is quite interesting to see, you know, how how cold does it actually get and what, what the humidity is. Because um, sometimes we come home, especially in winter, when it's a nice, wet, rainy week, and it can be up to 85. And it's not good for anything underneath. So yeah. I've... I've I've got probably about four sensors. It's not big boat, but I've got four temperature sensors around it, just so I can keep an eye on what's going on, and yep. it just lets us know. Um, so there are little things you can do like that to help you out. And how hmm. would you heat and cool the boat? Because obviously electricity's not. I'm, I'm guessing if you're not plugged in, you know, electricity's a bit hard to run such thing, something like that. Um, actually, next week we're about to put in a diesel heater. Um, we haven't had a, a diesel heater before, which would be quite interesting. It burns about a Coke can worth of diesel, maybe in, in two hours of use. Yep. So that would be quite um, quite a game changer because we're going to have vents all throughout the boat um, to pump this air through. For cooling, though, that's easy. we just got um, USB fans everywhere, and they, they do really well. I'd love to automate a fan, but how do you automate a 12-volt fan? I'm still working that out. Uh, that's that's a great question for the community. Actually, it's a good good thing you're asking here. <laughs> I, yeah, I I love you know you got all these relays that you you can buy for you know 
like a Sonoff plug, for example, or whatever for, for a typical fan. But how can I get a Wi-Fi relay for a 12-volt USB fan or even a 5-volt, sorry, USB fan? I don't think it would be, I don't think it'd be too difficult, actually, because USB for the power, if I remember correctly, it's been a while since I've looked at it, but if I remember correctly, it actually does just have a plus 5, minus 5 pin, right? So it's just... You know, you take that and again, you got to cut the wire and do all that, but uh, you, you'd need to essentially build your own. I don't think there's one that's native there, but if you're willing to build your own, then it might not be too difficult. Yeah. Then, then I went back to doing, well, what am I going to do with the fan as well? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I keep thinking about these sorts of things. I've, I've got all these good ideas in my head, but I don't know what to do with them. Um at the end of the day, would I just automate the fan if we're home? Well, then what if my partner's not hot or, you know, <laughs> or the temperature's fine? Yeah. Yeah. So I think sometimes efforts outweighs the benefit. But I do have a little idea. Maybe you guys can weigh in on this. I'd like to, outside we've got a power um, a little plinth that we, you know, plug the shore power into. And on it, there's a little LCD counter of how many kilowatt hours you've used. And yep. for every kilowatt you use, a little red light flashes. And I thought, geez, if I could get some kind of setup where I could power it from solar panel, a little solar panel on this unit, it needs to be Wi-Fi or MQTT, and I can just have it counting these pulses, and then it could send me how much power I've been using. Okay, that's interesting. Hmm. Um, so what is the... I'm, I'm, I'm not sure about the the counting of the the pulses. I'm sure you could use that, but what about the display of the numbers? Is because there is a component that allows you in Home Assistant. You know, if you've got a camera, you can point it at uh, those eight bit displays uh, of the numbers, and it will actually and it's actually to do what you've described to actually read a meter. Uh, so you just point a camera, and then you pass the picture that's taken to this home assistant service and it will read the numbers out and then from there you can then automate uh, something based on whatever the value is returned by the camera well question would be question would be are you planning on taking this out like like is 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 this at, at the shore power side or is this uh on the boat side and if it is you have to remember to remove it yeah that's true uh it'll be on the shore power side because uh, it will just yep. be counting how much ac we've been using one thing that we have done successfully is the water heater that's the biggest culprit for power and also the electric heater they're the two that drew our, our power bill last month was 20 bucks so i'm not it's not <laughs> that yeah. critical but yeah the water heater has been an interesting one because the son of power just um when we asked to turn the water heater on it turns it on for half an hour then turns back off where we were traditionally running at 24 hours a day for what reason i don't know we're just wasting right. power, really. But we were thinking in the mindset of a house, and then I thought, well, if I have some kind of counter, I could get the kilowatts that's used and then times it by how much we get charged. But then I actually thought, geez, if we could actually do it at the shore power side, that would be quite an interesting little project. Yeah, you'd be able to get the whole boat's usage and then work out what's trying – then try to extrapolate what's causing it. Mm. Yeah. It's again, yeah, it's not really necessary though, is it? A $20 <laughs> power bill. <laughs> yeah, fair. But that's, uh, man, this is this is actually really interesting. I don't, I don't think we've ever had this sort of conversation on the show before. Um, it, it, it does require a bit of thought. So, like, you have to put a bit of thought into because there's obviously the constraints of, you know, oh, this electricity that I can just plug into. It's sort of, you no, know, you've got to think a bit further and how can we do this as economically as possible absolutely absolutely and and again while not drowning all of your materials yeah right so yeah um, that's the hard part i think uh, the other thing is just trying to keep it lean hidden and yeah the, the main thing is i don't want to have to go into the app i don't want to have to go into um you know some kind of tablets on the wall or anything like that it should just yeah. work for me and and that that's actually quite a hard thing to do because it often doesn't just work at all as we all know you totally. set it up with the best intention <laughs> i mean a couple yep. of times we got home and no lights uh, yeah um, yep. of course we yeah didn't have our bluetooth turned on 
just sort of little things like that. Um, but I, I think overall it's been a good experiment. I think if anyone's got a boat out there, you can automate things. It's just what do you want to do and are you going to go overboard? People have asked me, have you automated the nav lights? And I thought, yeah, but we only use the nav lights at night if we're sailing. And I'm sure I can just turn them on at the wall. That's not really something that's going to save me time, to be honest. Yeah, there's there's no there's no value in it, is I think what you're alluding to. I could turn them on and off for Christmas. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. But it's, I, I've enjoyed the I've enjoyed the journey, and I I think there are a few things that we're still tidying up, and and at the end of the day, we've got a pretty good system. And I, I must say, Home Assistant now is so reliable, it's not funny. Now I say that, it's probably not going to work. But it, it has gotten <laughs> better and better, I think, with every release. Would you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely, I, yeah. I think my if I look at my Home Assistant right now, it has been running for – hang on, I'm going to give you a live update here because I haven't restarted it in quite some time, and usually this is big for me. Five days. I haven't restarted my Home Assistant in five days, and – that's because I just don't need to tinker with it anymore. I don't need to go under the hood and find out, you know, why didn't that automation fire? Why isn't that working? So I can just leave Home Assistant running for five days. It's not going to crash. Uh, and, yeah, it's. I think asked of me that six months ago, I would m- maybe have it running a day before I'd have to restart it and or I'd be tinkering it with it to try to get it to work. Yeah. Did you guys used to, maybe I'm the only one, but would, would you always update the latest version? Or would you hang back? Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> well, since doing the podcast, we try and, uh, at least when the beta comes out, we try and install the betas just to play around with it and, and see what the changes are ourselves so we know what we're, we're talking about. Sometimes we don't sound like what we know what we're talking about, which is fair. Um, but <laughs> I, I do find that the, the speed Home Assistant runs at, it's you, you sort of, you, you do run a risk that if you don't upgrade regularly, uh, there's going to be so many breaking changes per every release that you know to jump point ten releases is going to be a huge undertaking and yeah and sometimes I even see that on Reddit you know someone's like hey I'm running a Home Assistant zero six zero but I would like to upgrade to cloud so now I need to go up to zero point ninety like uh yeah good luck trying to read all the breaking changes <laughs> for the last forty releases yeah um, at that so- point start again yeah <laughs> exactly yeah it, it, it's yeah and and I mean I'm I, I I keep going back and forth with this, right? So I I always want to be on the bleeding edge. Uh, so I'm I'm actually on the on the RC channel on the on the beta channel uh, for my for my development uh, thing. I run two instances. One is on the dev side, which I barely touch, and then the other one is um, what I actually run is on the on the stable channel. Um, but unless I have a reason to change between stable and beta, uh, I I normally keep it on stable. Uh, but when things like cloud and stuff are coming out, then I'll flip it to beta and, and upgrade. And uh, It's sort of like that whole, if it ain't broke, don't fix it sort of thing. Absolutely. But but the other side of me is also like, oh, but, you know, I, I, I want to be on the latest, newest, greatest thing. Yeah. And why? I couldn't tell you. It smells nice. Yeah, it's yeah. fresh. Yeah. It, exactly. It's, and it's like no updates that's actually affected me, but I'll still update it sometimes, right? <laughs> but 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 it's it's also partially in, in fear of, being too far behind and then i i just don't want to rebuild all of my everything again <laughs> so it's uh yeah that's that's what it is it's it's exactly what you said about the breaking changes phil yeah i don't, I don't want to be that guy the worst one for us uh, recently was i was on 0.89 and as soon as i went to 0.9 our led lights stopped working and i found that i hadn't um put tasmoda on two of the led controllers so we were um we we're sitting there having dinner and i, was, I said geez the light should have turned on by now went, <laughs> um, and it's always at the most inconvenient time luckily, a bug occurs yeah yeah and this is when i got the you shouldn't have taken the the uh, the wires out of all the light switches we could have had that yes i know but luckily <laughs> snapshots you know you can quickly get back <laughs> and <laughs> you're done but i I must say I've been pretty lucky with breaking changes, uh, but yeah, you do see uh, some people out there that are saying this isn't working, that's not working. But I I have seen less and less of that now on the forums, and people are more uh, really asking more about what are you doing, how am I going to do this, mm-hmm. which is quite cool. It's, it does really seem to be getting um in this in the word uh, stable 
realm, I guess. Yep. I, yeah. I, I do wonder, though, what is the future for Home Assistant? Is it, is it going to be something that's going to be paid? Is it going to be commercial or is it going to be in this hobby world? For for home assistant, do you mean, or for home automation? Mm. Well, no, for home home assistant itself. Well, I think Polis has, has always maintained that it's going to remain open source, and the home assistant license is actually open source. So, yeah, even if Polis decided tomorrow, oh, I want to close everything down and, and charge everyone for it, even the the license that home assistant has been released on doesn't allow him, the creator, to to revoke that. So. It, it will always be free and open source. You, you may, and I think, you know, Paulus would have to answer this, but, you know, eventually um, there may be devices that come out with Home Assistant installed. I know uh, there was a Kickstarter project that sort of got into a bit of trouble uh, with Home Assistant because they wanted to, to do that. And Home Assistant was like, oh, don't leverage our brand for it. Um, but, yeah, I guess... I think the the future is definitely bright for Home Assistant. I, I am personally not concerned about ever losing access to it or having to pay for it. Yeah. Uh, I, I do pay for Nebuchadnezzar, but there are obvious fees that, that go along with that. So, that, that, that I'm happy to do. I, yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm with Phil on that one too. It's, so, I mean, just, we, we have, uh, you know, we're we're lucky enough that we can talk to Paulus all the time and about this kind of stuff. And and from everything everything we've everything I've heard at least, it, it is it is you know planning to be free and open source for ever and ever and ever. And and I mean sometimes there are um, that there are things like for example in Nabucasa where you know with Google and and uh, Amazon Echo automation things like that you you can pay for that. But there's also a free option to do it on the actual Absolutely. home assistant without having to do that, right? Sure, Nabucasa makes it a lot easier, but you can still do it, right? There's still a free uh, open source way of doing this, right? Yeah, I, I do recommend everyone to be on Nabucasa if they're not, even if you're not going to use it. I think supporting what they're doing is amazing. You know, you should be supporting them. But I, what I do, what one thing I'm curious at is, is the community always going to be there and that's, uh, I'm not saying we're not, I'm not yeah. saying everyone's going to go away and leave, but it is community driven. And one thing when I looked at this whole thing is, oh, it's open source. But then I looked at the community and went, oh man, everyone's on the forums. You've got Reddit, you've got uh, Discord, um, the forums on, on, on the website. But what happens if, for example, Frank went, nah, I've, I've got to do other things. You're like, whoa, that's a big loss. And unfortunately, I can't write python i can't read it i don't know anything about it <laughs> i would love love to help out uh, i'm sure many people would i just don't have the time to to learn a computer language but it is interesting we are community driven and i that's why i like this podcast because i think it, it keeps the community together and alive and you hear paulus or someone else from um like maybe a, a hastio add-on come on yep. And they talk about what's going on behind the scenes. And I think that's really yeah. important. But it's not a product anymore. It's, hey, guys, this is what I've been up to. And this is how it works. And this is how you could use it. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. and, oh, and Absolutely. Th- there's, a lot of, there's a lot of exactly that, right? And, and to me, that's transparency to some extent. And it's, you know, hey, this is where we're planning on going with this. And, you know, here you go, community. It's out there, right? And, and that's what we have. You know, Paulus will, will come on, the, on our podcast. Um, regularly to say, look, I've got this big announcement I need to make. I want to, I want it to come from me though. You know, I think uh, one of the big times was, uh, uh, was the release of Nebuchadnezzar. And he's like, look, yep. we're actually going to be, be charging $5 a month and everyone's going to be like, whoa, this is open source. I don't want to have to pay. So let me come on and explain mm. to everyone what the cost is for and, you know, why we're doing it. And we're not, and, and to reassure people that no, Home Assistant isn't going to start charging you $5 a month just to, access everything yeah. which i think uh, lends to your point rohan that it is transparency yeah yeah and i think i think that strengthens everyone's sort of belief in the, the whole system because let's be honest we're all running our houses or boats on this <laughs> bit of software that's been written by someone and you're thinking man i hope this works because it, it is, <laughs> it's scary when it doesn't you're thinking man yeah. i've invested a lot of time effort things aren't working right now 
when your house isn't working right, you you start. I don't know. It's an awful feeling, isn't it? Um, Absolutely. Some, sometimes it's home assistant. You can blame Paulus. Sometimes though, you have to blame <laughs> yourself because you wrote the automation wrong, or that entity ID has a spelling mistake. But I, I, I yeah, I'm really big on community. I've tried to do a few YouTube videos, and I'm really hitting the beginners. I don't really care about. Um, you know, all these other, other amazing things that people are doing, really nitty-gritty stuff. I'm just – I think one of my videos was Taz Motor. I'm like, this is what Taz Motor is and this is what you can do with it because I think we – the more people we get in and get involved with um, with Home Assistant, it's just going to be such a big community. It is growing, absolutely. isn't it? Oh, absolutely, yeah. And I think Home Assistant is more um, uh, in a position to – have a longer lifespan because of its lack of cloud dependence. So uh, we, I've noticed through doing our release notes for the podcast that features get removed or integrations get removed from Home Assistant, not because Home Assistant you know can't do it anymore or doesn't want or there's no one there to maintain it. It's that the the service has gone under, or you know the API that Home Assistant integrated with is no longer accepting connections. And I think you know because Home Assistant doesn't have a, a reliance on a, a a cloud service. You know, if let's say tomorrow Nebucasa uh, closed down, then, you know, all the local instances would still keep working. You could still run your YAML automations. The lights are still going to turn on, you know. You don't have to have a, an active internet connection for the lights to turn on, which, you know, there's equal chance that Samsung SmartThings may decide, you know what, Home Assistant's too good and we're going to close shop and the SmartThings... You know, hub, you know, requires an internet connection, and if Samsung decides to kill their servers, then yep. everyone who bought into SmartThings is out of luck. And we see this all the time with, you know, big retailers that try to get into the home automation game, and now they've decided, oh, we don't want to run the cost of this cloud service and and brick everyone's products. So, I think Home Assistant, in terms of going away in the future, I think it's much less likely because it is open source. And it doesn't have that cloud dependence. Yeah, that that that's a big one. And and I think after after uh, especially in January, I think after third or fourth episode of the month, Phil and I, I think we sat down. And we were like, man, finally we didn't have we didn't have an episode where we had to talk about <laughs> oh these guys stopped uh, supporting the product, so too bad, guys. Sorry, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I, that's something I'm really happy that I don't have to do. We, the only thing we've got is an S-Protect, um, just so I yeah. know if the, the boat's on fire, I can know about it anywhere, which is great. But yeah. as you say, what if they said, no, we're not doing that anymore? Then you're like, well, I'm, I'm out of luck here, aren't I? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and that, that again, you know, I think the, um, the whole IOTs are getting quite a strong community behind it too because you – you start going, oh, I actually can make this myself or I could um, just quickly source a few cheap parts together and I can have the same result than buying this stupid. No, again, nothing against Philips Hue, but man, I don't know what LEDs they use in their strips. They must be from NASA or something. They must come with the <laughs> high price tag because you can get some real cheap ones at AliExpress and they do almost the exact same thing. And I'm really happy that I'm not in their infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 funny because I've I've avoided uh, Hue for well for me I don't I don't work well with smart lights I'd rather smart switches personally that's 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 my take on it but yeah I, I totally know what you're saying right but 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 again this could also happen to uh, I mean the, the cost of it is one thing but even even if I did have all the money in the world and and wanted to do that now it's also a you know what happens when they when Philips just turns around and says well you know what sorry folks we don't want to support products anymore we don't want to do any of that mm. anymore you know am i am i out of luck or am i you know can i at least use it to some capacity mm. right do you so. guys find that the whole home assistant setup mm. whether you've got a knock or a raspberry pi do you really think that matters and i know that's quite a broad question but i and i know everyone's got their own setup and their own goals out of it but I, I, what I'm getting at is I hear everyone using the buzzword knock at the moment and I'm thinking, geez, am I getting left behind? Do I not know something about this whole knock setup? 
do you think it's going so, to it, it sort of maybe outgrow the Raspberry Pi? So, so it depends on what you're trying to do. And, and, and Phil, I mean, I'd love to hear your take on this too, but um, the Raspberry Pi, like you said, um, for you, you're running it, I think you said about like 10 or 20% CPU and, you know, you're averaging around there. Right. And you know, it works. So, but if, at the same time, if you wanted to do a whole bunch of things, um, like last episode, we were talking about, uh, you know, using TensorFlow and all these things for image recognition and doing all that. Yeah. Okay. If you're doing that kind of stuff, you probably don't want to do it on a Raspberry Pi and not, not that you can't, it's just going to bog down your box quite a bit. Right. Um, and, and things will be very slow relative to not doing those things. Right. So, so I, I think it's just, uh, to me, it really depends on your use case. I don't think there is a perfect, right? I used to run mine on Raspberry Pi and, and I just hated having to deal with the upgrades at the time. This is pre hasio and stuff. And, and you know, I switched to Docker and on on one of my home lab machines and I said, all right, let's do it this way. And it works great, right? I love it. And, you know, I can add whatever I want. But at the same time, I I have the ability to do that? Do I need to do that? Not necessarily, right? So uh, mm. I think that's what it comes to down to, for me at least. Yeah. I think I think it definitely is. It's a personal situation. So I started on my Synology NAS running in Docker and eventually I just, I had I had to move it away because I was running so many other systems on the, on the NAS that Home Assistant was too slow. Um, you know, I'd walk into a room, the motion sensor would detect motion, but then yeah. Home Assistant would have a delay. And, you know, yeah. being a, if someone walks into a room and it takes five to 10 seconds for the light to turn on, that's not good UX. And, you know, then, of course, the people that are unbelievers in this will say, you could have just turned the light on with a light switch in five, in, in two seconds. Like, what what's the point if it doesn't work? So... To me, I think it definitely depends, you know, if you're tracking thing, if you're tracking satellites and, and, and as much information as you can, then eventually you are going to outgrow the Pi. And I've seen a few people that have sort of got multiple instances of Home Assistant running. I, I run two instances of Home Assistant myself. And, you know, they, they split out the what each instance of Home Assistant is designed to do, you know, so... One Raspberry Pi may be dedicated to lighting and another Raspberry Pi may be dedicated to climate control. And, you know, keeping uh, those things isolated makes them more reliable. It also gives, um, you know, more redundancy so that, you know, if the lighting Pi is down for whatever reason, at least the heating is going to still work, right? So I think, yeah, there are there are ways around it and it, it all comes down to how, you, how heavy you really want to use Home Assistant. I do think that the project is getting very big i know one of the questions we had for paulus uh when he was on last was will it ever outgrow the pie personally i think it 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 won't if you're running it to maybe uh, a few niche components but eventually i think everyone's uh installation will require some more hardware Mm -hmm. yeah the the reason i sort of posed the question because i sort of already know the answer but it's interesting because people um a few people have emailed me and said when um, is the crossover? And I said, well, geez, that's a hard question to answer because I don't know what you're you're running and that sort of thing. Mm. Hopefully the Raspberry Pi 4, which is supposed to be a a huge hardware upgrade, is going to be the answer to a few things for people. But it is an interesting point because someone said um, at one point, why don't you just farm it out to a cloud? You're like, well, now you're relying on a cloud service. Why don't you run two Raspberry Pis? You can run two pies, but should you get three, four, or should you just get a nook? You're like, okay. Or if you get a nook, mm-hmm. you have a laptop around. So I think, yeah, it's actually stability is not the issue now. I'm starting to see on forums, Reddit, and people emailing me, what do I run this thing on? And it's, <laughs> it's quite funny the transition of questions. I don't know. Yeah. 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 So, Adam, thank you very much for joining us today. We will leave links to your YouTube channel in our show notes so people can contact you there, check out your Tasmoda stuff if, and just your general life living on a boat. Hopefully you uh, get some time to make some more videos because I, I think you have a, a really unique home assistant set up and it's, and it's very interesting to follow your journey. Yeah, thanks for that. I hope, um, hope I've taken the podcast in a two different direction. It's nice talking about setups and that sort of thing, but I don't find our setup personally interesting. It's... Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> just the pile of some MQTT things running. But um, it's cool to talk to you guys. I, I think it is um, really important about having this community together and asking questions. No questions a dumb one, and and just general discussion about where home assistance going. I think it's exciting. I think this whole cloud Nabucasa thing's exciting, and hopefully this um, Raspberry Pi four answers a few of my questions. So yeah, no, I, I think from everyone, thank you too for um, doing what you're doing. Uh, thank you very much. We appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, that's that's really nice of you to say. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Thanks. See ya. If you want to share your home assistant journey or come on as a guest, reach out to us at feedback at haspodcast.io. That's H-A-S-S podcast.io. The Home Assistant Podcast is hosted by Phil Hawthorne and myself, Rohan Karamandi. For links to topics that we discussed today, check out our show notes on haspodcast.io.